Now, the rest of us, uh, we will be continuing in the book of John as we have been uh, for the last uh, kind of season here. So, uh, we find ourselves very much in the middle of a story. So, last week we saw Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we saw that he had, Jesus could take this, this very meager offering, a few fish, some barley loaves, and solve the, an insurmountable, impossible task of feeding 5,000 men, in addition to the women and children who were present, an impossible, miraculous thing that showed Jesus to be a better prophet than Moses, a better prophet than Elisha. And today, we're saying, okay, how do the people respond to all this? What do they do with this miracle that they have all seen? And not just this one, but miracles that are going to be surrounding the story today. We see more miracles and less, less faith, unfortunately. We're going to see uh, people misuse Jesus and not see the miracles for what they are supposed to see, but instead they, they're going to see just a means of gaining uh, dead and useless things, temporary life from this one who is infinitely glorious and possesses eternal life himself. And yet they're trading, they're trading eternal life for just one more meal. Now, of course, that's going to have implications for our own hearts. But we're going to see uh, a few things here. We're going to see three miracles that Jesus is going to do. The miracles that, that should point us to him. We're going to see how the people respond and, and fail to really see those miracles. And then we're going to see Jesus' rebuke. And our prayer is that we might turn from seeing the miracle to seeing this one who is Jesus. And worshiping him. So let's read uh, John 6. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land in which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away. Other boats from Tiberias came to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, 
This is the work of God, that you believe him who he sent. So they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the bread, the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in the face of Jesus Christ, in all of his miracles, in his death and resurrection, we ask that we might not be those who merely look him for bread, fail to, to receive all that he offers. Father, would you convict us? Would you change our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you give us focus enough to see uh, our own sins and to repent and to move towards Jesus that we may feast upon him in our hearts? We may receive eternal life that we may be satisfied in him. Pray in Christ's name. So we begin. The night following the miracle, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake to Capernaum. All right, so we're on the Sea of Galilee, venturing uh, from east to west here, and the disciples and Jesus are separated. Remember, Jesus had to run away because the people were going to force him to be their king, and he withdraws and goes to the mountaintop. Now the disciples... Uh, in a kind of unique move that they don't usually do, uh, they kind of ditch him and set sail uh, across the sea to Capernaum. Okay, so for the first time, they are without Jesus, the one they are supposed to be following. And appropriately, uh, the situation starts to go downhill. And now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Now, we've talked about how John is symbolic. We talked about how he represents things uh, to have spiritual meaning. Now, it was actually dark, and there was a storm. Uh, but it's appropriate that providentially God would send these things at the same time that the disciples are moving away from Jesus, that they do not have the, the security and the provision of this one who tames the chaos and who satisfies the wrath of God, and who can defeat death, like suddenly, and suddenly it starts, to, it starts to encroach upon them. Darkness, and chaos of the waters, and fear and death, further they are away from Jesus. And yet, in the most impossible of places, Jesus they, they, they left Jesus, but Jesus comes back to get them. In the very midst of the Sea of Galilee, miles, miles across the waters. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. 
to, we have to picture this correctly. Right, this, is not, this is not a still waters. It's, this, is, this is in the midst of a raging storm. And when they see this one walking on the water, they are terrified. But what do we do? In the midst of chaos and death, this is life for Jesus. This is a stroll through the park. He's literally walking upon it. There is nothing before him. And it, it echoes with meaning, just like the story last week did. Right? We, have seen, we have seen people travail across the waters. So Moses, Moses parts the Red Sea. Joshua would part the Jordan River. Elisha would, would once again part that same Jordan. But what did they have to do? They had to pull the waters away and walk on dry land. Which is good. It's kind of like a recreation image that, that the waters are pulled back and, and life is provided for. Right. This miracle is orders of magnitude better. But Jesus doesn't need, just need to like push back. No, he, he walks right through it. The chaos and through the death and through the destruction he does not sink under it. Now this is this is a, a God level miracle. All right, there's there's orders of magnitude miracles here. And we saw some prophet level miracles. Now, this is a God one. We look at Job. He talks about like, well, how could I possibly, how could we be right before God when, when God does such things? For I know it to be so, but how can a man be in the right before God? Because God can do certain things. And one of the things he lists is, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. That is a God activity. And here is Jesus trampling the waters of the sea. And they are terrified. They shouldn't be terrified. They just watched him feed 5,000 people, another God-level miracle. But because their hearts were hardened, they are still shocked to see yet another miracle on this level. But Jesus, in his grace, he says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And this it is I, it, it hints at the, the I am name. Later, he's going to go out and say it, and people are going to like, fall down flat, but it hints at it that this is, this is indeed the I am God, Yahweh, reflected in the miracles that he's doing on that level. But he pairs it with something beautiful. He pairs it with words of comfort. Do not be afraid. The great comfort of knowing that God is, is before them, not in wrath and in judgment. Now, those things are swirling around, but here is Jesus peace and life in that power. And they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. All right, it starts to happen so quickly, we start to lose track of the miracle. So first, all right, we had feeding the 5,000, then he's walking on water, and then we have this, this miraculous end to all of it, Whereas the second Jesus gets in the boat, it's not just that this, the storm calms. It's like they are instantly where they were needed to be. 
they're, they're popping from three or four miles out to like, oh, and we're done. We're at the end of the story, and we've made it. Psalm 107 says that this is something God does. Uh, he made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. That in an instant, he brings them to, to peace once again, to their desired destination, the haven that is before them. And what is this? This feels like a like waking from a nightmare. And can you imagine that, like the that has all the chaos around, and then all of a sudden it just it instantly stops, and you're oh wait, we're at the end of the ride already. That's what's happening here, and it's supposed to feel like this stark, crazy thing because that's that's how Jesus brings about redemption. It is instantaneous. It is described as what the these things happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That momentary affliction transformed into an eternal weight of glory in but a moment. That he will come and he will do that work. That darkness will turn into light, peace, eternal comfort. C.S. Lewis describes it as, the bad dream will be over and it will be morning. That all suffering and death will be transformed such that it is a new morning and those things were but a dream. That's the kind of Savior we We don't, we don't need temporal peace. We don't need a few comforts. We don't need a few luxuries. Like We need for the whole culmination of everything to be wrapped up and transformed and resurrected and ascended into glory. You know that longing in your heart. There's eternity in your heart, a longing for everything to be new and make light. Right? That is what we're hinting at here. These are the, that's like the, the level of miracles that are being worked by Jesus. And miracles that not just the Bible recognizes, that, that historical figures have recognized, that historians have recognized. We talked about uh, Josephus, a Jewish scholar, like, he, he, this guy worked miracles. Like, the Jews don't believe in him, but he, it was undeniable. Opponents who hated Christians, they were saying, like, but he did miracles, but he wasn't God. He's just using magic. Like, they couldn't deny it. Even the Pharisees could not deny the miracles. They just said it was Satan doing it, not, not God. Everyone has to do something with these miracles. And you have to ask, okay, what do I do with this person who is doing such things? Before people who wanted to deny it could not. What do you do with such a man? Now let's see what, what, what this crowd what this crowd does with such a man. 
The next day, the crowd that was stayed on the opposite side of the shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but had gone away alone. Okay, so they're getting what happened here. Then the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. All right, so they're looking for him. This is the, this is the first and most appropriate step that you actually try to seek this one who is doing these amazing things. It's worth pursuing him. That alone is a huge step. It is not enough, we're going to see. But it's foolishness if we don't at least move towards him. And some boats arrive, and they take boats on their way to find him. They've eaten the bread, they've experienced the miracle, and they're seeking him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? All right, what's our assessment of this question? This is a stupid question to ask Jesus after all of this. All right, there's a lot of questions they could have asked. Even they could have asked, like, what do you think of the weather we've been having? And that would have given them, like, a, a lot of information and been really helpful, actually. They could have asked things like, uh, like, who are you? What are you? What did you come here to do? Even simpler, like, how did you get here? Even deeper, like, what, what do you want from us? What do you want us to do? No, they ask, when, when did you get here? Why do they ask, when did you get here? You know what they're asking, really? Did we miss breakfast? That's what they're asking. Have you been here long enough to work another miracle? Because we're hungry. We hope we didn't miss it. When is breakfast? And Jesus, he does not answer their question. He's not excited have token followers who are hungry. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. This is not gentle Jesus. This is incisive, direct, cutting Jesus, getting to the core of exactly how they received all this. What does he say? He says, there was a sign, but you didn't see it. All you saw was a meal. And you aren't following me. You are seagulls looking for French fries. <laughs> and you're just like, <laughs> you would follow anyone who's throwing bread at you. And yeah, I threw more bread than you're used to. But it's not because you saw a sign. All right, so what, what is the point here? This, Signs, signs point to things. And the bread, the bread was supposed to point to this one who could give life in a different sense than just giving you food. And it's supposed to be this movement from, okay, whoa, a miracle, pointing to a miracle worker. We saw it, we saw it this morning, like, there's a sign of water 
If we just said, I, I have a shower at home, that would be really dumb. No, it points to something greater. And if we miss that, we have missed the whole thing, and they have missed the whole thing. There is this one, it's pointing to eternal life. And what do they want? They just want full bellies for one more day. And Jesus sees this, and he says, like, you're just treating me like a vending machine. I am not a vending machine. Why? Why do you want me? Actually, I um, I was like guest brought in to do a like a college uh, Bible study, and I did this passage, and we're like going along, and like everyone's pretty happy, and then all of a sudden everyone goes silent. I'm like, what happened? And they they look at me and they're like, we only come here for the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got him. <laughs> Pick the right passage. All right, like, do we only come here for the pizza? And now I recognize that, like, most of you are not hungry. And so, like, you're not coming here for the, the gluten-free bread. All right? I know. <laughs> I'm not even coming for that, and that's the only thing I can have. Um, so, like, all right, so it's not that, but we come with equally false motives. And I, I know some of you, and, and I, like, we hear Jesus, and we hear miracles, and we're like, this is the guy who can fix my life. He can do the stuff that I need to happen. Maybe he can make me happy or make me rich, or make me comfortable, give me health and wealth and prosperity and peace. You aren't hungry, but you want those things. I want those things. And there's a million motives for coming here, and a million motives for, for following Jesus. And some of them are just, you want to feel like a nice and good, upstanding citizen, you want to be able to look down on people. You, you want approval. You want a nice community with nice people. There's nice people here. Right. But what is, what is all that? That is, that is trading eternal life for sandwiches. And so what does Jesus says? say? Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's saying, why would you come to me to get temporary goods and pleasures? You're selling, this, you're selling me short. All of that stuff is going to perish. I don't care how, mu how much happiness you get out of this life, like you are going to die. All of these things are going to perish and be fleeting and become nothing. And here I am doing resurrection-level miracles, pointing to, to heavenly realities. And you would be satisfied with bread. 
Jesus is doing miracles and saying he is God's sealed one who alone has been appointed to give eternal life. What do we do with him? Now they hear this and they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So what do he say? He says, do not work for food that spoils. And what do they hear? He works. And they know works. Oh, oh, works. Of course. We have to do some work to get the food. How many good works do I get until you feed me? And that is, that is the natural inclination of everyone as they come to God is, okay, I will do some good works and you will pay me with blessings. And that will be our transaction. Which works would you like me to do? How much will you give me? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. All right, there's one work. One work to believe. All of this stuff was not to get you to work. It was to get you to believe. To believe in Jesus Christ. To believe that he could give you eternal life, that you would seek it in him. Now, uh, a picture of this. All right, so an analogy. Uh, this is C.S. Lewis, again. Um, I apologize. Uh, C.S. Lewis is like the pumpkin lattes of sermon analogies. <laughs> they're good, but they're not, yeah, I feel kind of basic when you give one, but it's fine. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right. So uh, uh, maybe you haven't heard this one. You probably have. Meditation in a tool shed. Okay. Meditation in a tool shed. Uh, I was standing today in the dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside, and through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, the beam of light with the specks of dust floating on it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eye, and instantly the whole previous picture vanished. And I saw no tool shed. And above all, no beam. Instead, I saw, framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90 million miles away, the sun, looking upon the beam and looking at the beam, are very different experiences. What is he saying? There's a picture, in case you couldn't picture that. <laughs> okay. Are you saying that, okay, we can, we can spend all of life staring at that light from the side and say, look, a miracle. Food, bread. Wow. And in the darkness, it looks really amazing. And we're chasing after the light. And all of life can be like that. There are lots of things that are shiny. There's fun. There's comfort and peace and happiness. There's 
food and music and beauty and sex and family and all this good stuff. And they are, they're beams of light. But what's the point? The point is to not look at them, but to look along them and see beyond them the sun 90 million miles away, Jesus Christ, the one who is shining in all of his glory and who's radiating his goodness. One who, who is working all of these things as a picture of himself, as a sign pointing to one greater. Do we spend our lives staring at the side of the beams, running after these lights, or gazing upon the sun? And what C.S. Lewis is saying, he's saying that like that's an utter change in perspective that will change your whole life. You will never see anything the same again. You'll know the real source. And you'll move from the sign to like beholding the glory and beauty of God, lighting in him, feasting upon him in your hearts, loving and worshiping him, heaven directed. That, that is what he wanted to do with the miracle. Is to see him and behold him in all his glory. Now, did the people do that? No. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe? Oh, what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. That is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. All right, what are they saying? They're saying, well, we would believe if you gave us a sign, like feeding us more bread. <laughs> it's just... It's like talking to a middle schooler who wants what they want. You know, they just like, they can get it from any perspective. And you're like, all right. They want, all they want is bread. That's the reality. And now what are they using? They're using scripture to get them the bread. They bring out a Bible passage and say, you know what? No, you're supposed to give us good things. Oh, some of you are looking at your middle schoolers being like, hmm. <laughs> And what, what's the argument here? This is biblical. God ought to bless us. How dare we say that he's not going to give us bread? Jesus, give us the bread that, that God does. All right. There are a lot of good things that happen in the Bible. Not all of them are promises. Not all of them are guarantees. I know for a fact that some of you have set about to, to test God in prayer to give you great blessings. And you've tried, and you've been like, okay, I'll put it to the test. And at the end of the day, you say, God didn't bless me. He didn't give me what I wanted. All right. You are not dealing with a prayer vending machine. You are dealing with the God of the universe. The sun, 90 million miles away. And do you think he doesn't know the motives of your heart? That you weren't actually seeking to love him and worship him? 
but that you were using him to get at the idols that you really love and worship? All right, don't be shocked that like, oh, God didn't, God didn't come through. No, he wasn't manipulated by you. Nor should he be. And there are lots of things in the Bible that people take as, as like promises or, or blessings that ought to be theirs. Promises of bread and missing the eternal bread of life behind them. And that is bread. And those are the fakes we ought to see. They are not, they're not things, they are God himself. Jesus, the bread of life. Now, Jesus is not manipulated, and he says, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. Sir, they said, give us, uh, always give us this bread. All right, so Jesus reinterprets the passage for them. He said, actually, the point of the manna from heaven was, first of all, not supposed to lead you to Moses. And wow, Moses is really good at providing. It was supposed to lead you to God. And that God is this one who, in the midst of death and desert, kind of like watery storms, he's the one who sends down life from on high. First, in a temporary physical way, pointing to a spiritually eternal way. All right, that is the whole Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is like that. All right, so just take an example. Like when King David comes onto his throne and suddenly Israel gets really rich. Does that mean... If you obey God, then you get lots of riches. Oh, it points forward to spiritual realities. It points forward that once you have a king that God has appointed and that loves God and leads his people in faithfulness, they receive the riches of a kingdom filled with life and peace, pointing to heaven. All right, do we see the difference? One leads us to riches, and one leads us to a king of heaven. Do you read the Old Testament like that? Good. All of those things are pointing to better realities that our sinful, darkened, blind hearts don't want, but should. They are so much better. They're the only things that matter. They will be the only things that last. They will be eternal life. Now, what do we do? What do we do with all this? All right, first, we have to repent of all of the idols that we seek from Jesus. How ironic that we go to Jesus asking for our idols. That we ask for better things from Jesus, from Jesus himself. All right, we need to stop 
feasting on those things. Imagine, imagine if you just spent all your time eating packing peanuts and styrofoam. You would be full. And you would be dead. I ate so much today. It's, there's nothing there. Or we, like, we can spend so much time feasting upon things that are, are never going to sustain us for eternal life. All right, we need to change our diets. And that means shifting to like to feasting upon Christ. To gazing upon him and delighting upon him in our souls. To savoring the glory and riches of Christ, love, his death and resurrection. He has promised heavenly home that he is building for us. And victory over sin and destruction of darkness and chaos. Feasting upon those things and living by them. We're entering a season where you're going to eat a lot of food. Every bite, I want you to think, oh, Jesus is better food. All this food that I'm looking at, there is a banquet laid before us of Jesus Christ and eternal life. Let us feast upon him. Amen? Father, uh, we thank you for, for the crowds that show us our own sinful tendencies. Father, we can run to you thinking that we are worshiping you when really we are wanting from you a million different idols. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom and heart knowledge enough to know the things that we seek instead of you and, and seek through you that don't actually terminate on you and your glory and you yourself. Father, would you convict us by the Holy Spirit? And yet, Father, would you not just convict us, would you also help us to see him? The bread of life. Would you help us to enjoy him, feast upon him, to seek life in him, to be sustained in and through him? And Father, would we stop being anorexics, running after food that is not sustaining, fools who will not eat of the bread of life? Father, we thank you for the provision you've given us. We thank you that you have prepared a feast of eternal life in Jesus Christ, died and resurrected. Lord, would you help us to, to use the sign before us faithfully that we may be united to Christ in all its glory we pray.